it's great to see all of you here today. And if this is your very first time with us at New Life, man, special welcome to you. I hope your first time <clears throat> turns into a second time. Your second time turns into a third time. I hope eventually you find yourself just being a part of this church family. We'd love to have you for sure. Last weekend was our celebration weekend, and we were celebrating all that was given and committed to the Go West campaign. And again, I just want to express um, just how thankful we are, the whole church is, of your faithful generosity. It's just incredible to see so many people giving. And, and uh, last week, I shared with you, gift and commitments came in just a little bit north of $1.3 million. I'm happy to tell you that since last weekend, that number is a little bit north of $1.4 million dollars now. So praise God. Um, it's, it's, it's great. The, the generosity, we're moving forward. And uh, in God's perfect timing, there's going to be a new life West Campus out there on the West side by the bypass, changing lives, thriving. Man, we just can't wait. So just continue to pray about this, make it a matter of daily prayer. Um, we need to continue to be on our knees before the Lord with all of this. Now today I am launching a new series out of the book of Job. So you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Job. It's in the Old Testament. I'll tell you an easy way to find it. If you just let your Bible flop open on your lap, there's a good chance that it's going to open to the book of Psalms. And Job comes right before Psalms. So just if you open up, you find Psalms, just go back one book of the Bible and you're there. Maybe it opens to Proverbs. Just go back two books of the Bible and you're right there the book of Job. It's not too difficult to find. And while you're looking for that, let me just tell you that Job is an absolutely fascinating book of the Bible. If I had to guess that even if you're new to church or maybe you're you know, not that all familiar with the Bible, there's a good chance that you already have heard of Job. It does come up in, in the world. I mean, it's, it's, uh, definitely it's, it's a, a man from the Bible, but it's made its way out into some of our everyday um, kind of things, lifestyle. Uh, maybe you are one of those people that grew up in church, but then when you got older, you didn't go back to church and you were away from church for a long time, but now you're back in church. And I think what you're going to hear today, you're going to go, oh yeah, I remember that from Sunday school. Oh, I remember that from church camp. I remember Job's story now when we went to vacation Bible school. It's going to be that experience for you, I believe. Um, it's the story of a man named Job, obviously. That's the, the Bible, the book of the Bible is named after him. We learn as we start to read it that Job has uh, got a big family. He's uh, successful in every way. He's got lots of wealth. He's got lots of possessions. We might say this about Job if he were living in America today. We'd say he's living the dream. He's living the American dream. That's, that's what Job is living. But then in an instant, tragedy hits and he loses it all. No more big family. His, his, uh, his business is completely gone under. His wealth is gone. And then he even, on top of all that, he loses his health. Have you ever seen somebody go through a major tragedy and maybe you say, well, at least you still got your health. Have you ever said that to somebody? Job doesn't even have his health anymore. He loses it all. If we were to take the totality of the entire book of Job and just list all of the physical elements that he was dealing with, we would learn that he is an extremely sick man. We read in the book of Job that ulcers had broke out from within his body and on the outside. He talks about how all of this has made his breath extremely terrible and lonesome to those around him. The sores on his body became worm-ridden, infected. These same sores would, would close and then they would break open and ooze. And they would close, break open, and ooze. This was a repeatable cycle all the time, which probably means that his body was swollen and emaciated at the same time. This experience caused Job to be haunted by dreams, it says in chapter 7. These unearthly terrors he was dealing with. 
He was harassed by the sensation of choking. If you can imagine, it made his nights very restless and, and fearful, actually. These insistent pains that he had were persistent day in and day out. His skin, the Bible says, turned colors. And it was peeling, and his bones were filled with gnawing pain. His body burned with fever. The, you know, Job is a very sick person. Now, his wife, we know, no doubt, she's experiencing a lot of the pain and suffering that Job is, not quite to the same level, but she's experienced all this trauma with him. She looks at her husband and the condition that he's in, and you know what she says to him? Job, why don't you just curse God and die? I mean, how bad does your life have to get for your wife to look at you and say, just curse God and die already? In the middle of all this, as you keep reading, we learn that Job's got some friends and they come by to try to encourage him perhaps. You know, uh, we think their intentions are good. It seems like they are. But what happens there is they ended up just starting an argument with Job. They, they start to argue over, why is all this happening to you, Job? There's got to be a reason. You take the totality of all, all of these friends of Job, and they come to this one conclusion. Job, obviously, there's some great sin in your life. And if there wasn't, then why would all this bad stuff be happening to you? The only path forward, Job, is for you to repent of whatever you have done. And Job's like, I didn't do anything. Job struggled with all the suffering that he was enduring in his, in his worst of moments. He was accusatory towards God uh, for the, all the injustices that have happened to him. But in his better moments, his faith soared. And he expressed a confidence that something better was out there. Something better was in his future. Now, in the final chapters of the book of Job, God enters the conversation. He speaks up, and he puts some divine perspective on all this suffering and what, and what Job is, is experiencing and God speaks, and we have several chapters where God doesn't stop talking to Job. And, then, and, and this is such a humbling experience to Job. We learn that in Job chapter 40, verse 4, he just says, in response to God's words, he goes, oh, I am unworthy. And he says, how can I reply to you? And he says, I put a hand over my mouth. In other words, physically, I am going to restrain the, the verbal response because I'm just so overwhelmed by this. What could I ever say? I'm going to guard my mouth. I can't. So without a doubt, without question, suffering is the key issue described or dealt with in the book of Job. Specifically this question, why do righteous people suffer? Now I know that there's not a one of us in this room today who has not wrestled with that question. Why do righteous people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, there are a lot of questions. There are a lot of topics and issues that are out there today that actually fuel atheism. Atheism, of course, you know, is the lack of belief or really the uh, rejection of belief in God. That's atheism. One of the main issues, one of the main questions that fuels atheism today is the issue of evil and suffering in our world. In essence, the question becomes, why would a loving God allow suffering and evil to continue to exist and plague his creation? That's the question. 
I don't think there's another question out there that fuels atheism today more than that. It's the issue of, of evil. And just a question, anybody in here got a friend or a family member who is hung up on that question? Why do righteous people suffer? Anybody had those conversations with you? It's for, and do you know anybody that that is the roadblock for them? I can't get past this issue of suffering. If God is so loving, why is there so much evil? C.S. Lewis said this one time. He said, the problem of pain is atheism's most potent weapon against the Christian faith. The issue of pain. More people point to the problem of evil and suffering than anything else for their reason to not follow God. You know, even as Christians, I think we can be honest and say there are seasons in our lives where we feel like it's one big giant pursuit for the answer to the question, why? Why? Why did this happen? Because we have the desire to know the reason for why things happen the way that they do. And even as Christians, and we trust the Lord, we go through these seasons like, I want to know why this is happening to me. There's got to be a reason for this. There's, there's something in us that just wants to know why. I heard a story of a man who was on his deathbed one time, and actually for several months he was in and out of consciousness, really. And there were these moments where he was, you know, very lucid and, and he could communicate and then he would be um, asleep for days on end. Well, in one of these times where he kind of came to his senses, you know, he sees his wife there. And his wife was, she was by his side every single day that he was in the hospital. And he sees her there when he, when he wakes up and he motions for her to please come, come near to him. And as she sat by his bed, he had tears in his eyes and he whispered with all the strength that he could muster, and he says, you know what, honey? You have been with me through all of the bad times in my life. When I got fired from my job, you were right there to support me. When my business failed, you were there. When we lost the house, you, you stayed right there. When I got shot that one time, you were right there by my side when my health started failing, you were still by my side. He said, you know what? And she leaned in. She said, what, dear? Tell me. And there's a smile on her face. And she, her heart began to be filled with, with this warmth from this conversation. He said, honey, I think you're bad luck. <laughs> Why? Why do bad things happen? We want to know. And, and that right there, friends, suffering, this concept of suffering, that is the key issue in the book of Job. Why did Job have to suffer so much? And beyond that, however, as you study through the book of Job, it reveals some very important truths about God. It shows us the kind of trust that God wants us to have in him. Very clearly, that, that rings out very true in the book of Job. This is what God expects from us. And the book of Job also shows us that God has absolute control over this world. He has absolute control over Satan, who is the real cause of all the evil and suffering in our world today. So we're going to be going through the book of Job, but we're only going to be spending three weeks 
in the book of Job. So obviously, there's 42 chapters in the book of Job. We are not going to be reading all 42 chapters together here on the weekend. So I'm going to encourage you this week, spend some time with the book of Job. Sit down with it. Read it. You're going to be blessed. Some of you have never read it through its entirety. Some of you, it's been so long since you picked out the book of Job, it will feel fresh. So let me just encourage you. I think God's got some real important truths to show our church family, and and he's going to show you that through your reading of the book of Job. So let me encourage you to do that. But today, let's just start at the very beginning. You got Job open. Did you guys find it? Let's look at chapter 1, and uh, let's start in verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man named Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkey, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would, make, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular Custom. So we learned some things about Job right here at the very beginning. We learned that he is described as blameless and upright. He is depicted as a wealthy man, very accomplished. He has a family, so he's a family man. He's got a wife, seven sons, three daughters. And the Bible calls him the greatest man among all people. Friends, what do you got to do to become known as the greatest man among all people? That is quite a title. That is quite a reputation. Well, we learn a little bit of why perhaps he was known that way. He had children, adult children, who would throw birthday parties, and he's like, just in case one of my kids crossed the line in their celebration, I will go on their behalf and make atonement for them. That's just a little glimpse of of the kind of man Job is. He's, he's an incredible man who fears God. There's nothing that you can point to in his life that seems evil or out of place or selfish or lacking integrity. That right there is Job's backstory. But from there, the story takes a very dark turn. Let's look at verse 6. Here's what happens next. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. Now this is interesting. Job has a reputation of being upright and blameless, the greatest guy around, and God kind of thinks so too. This is a good dude. This is a really, really good dude. He says, there's no one like him on earth. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear you for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You bless the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land? But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. 
Now, friends, I hope we all acknowledge there is a whole lot happening in those few verses, isn't there? I mean, we could pull these details out. We could be here till midnight tonight dissecting everything that's happening here. I'm going to let you do some of that on your own as you study. What I want to do is maybe fly at a little bit higher level here and pull out some very significant truths that we learn from these opening verses that teach us something about our own suffering, about God, even to this day. And if you're taking notes, this would be a great thing to write down and remember. This is what's in your app. I want you to remember this. Evil does exist and God does not cause it. That rings loud and clear from the opening verses of the book of Job. Evil most certainly exists and God does not cause it. Now there are plenty of people in our world today that would argue against that and they would say evil doesn't exist. But the book of Job clearly teaches us that it does exist. And it's personified in the person of Satan, who is our adversary. He was Job's adversary, and I guarantee you, friends, he is still our adversary to this very day. Now, a moment ago, I mentioned C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is the man who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've heard of that. Um, He's considered to be among the greatest Christian minds and thinkers and authors uh, in recent history. But well before... C.S. Lewis was a Christian, did you know that he was a confirmed atheist? He saw all the pain and all the injustice in the world as an evidence against God. Now, he looked at all the evil and suffering, and he concluded this, that there couldn't be a God who is both all good and all powerful at the same time. So I, I, I just can't buy that. And so he chose atheism instead. But then he said the argument kind of fell apart on him. In fact, his exact words were, something threw me back into another difficulty. And he shares it in this book, Mere Christianity. He says this, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? So what he's talking about and what he realized is that calling something evil is only possible if there exists a standard of good and evil that is objective and universal. He realized that his own argument was falling apart right in front of him. And that standard, of course, is what? As Christians, we know that standard is the goodness of God. So just as crookedness is a departure from that which is straight, so evil is a transgression against the goodness of God. And this reality right here really shows up in the book of Job. So the book of Job, it shows us this heavenly scene that is taking place uh, in which includes God and and Satan uh, who is a fallen angel who rebelled against God. He appears before God's throne and he has this conversation with God about Job's righteousness. And notice carefully this exchange that Satan and God have. Satan says to God what? Stretch out your hand and strike everything that Job has and he will certainly curse you to, his, to your face. That's Satan's objective. Job's going to curse you to your face. 
<clears throat> but if you notice, God doesn't agree to this. Not at all. He says, I'll tell you what, Say, everything that he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Right here in the very beginning, we are shown God does not cause evil. I hope we can all agree as Christians that we live in a fallen world. And even if you're not a Christian, you can just turn on the news and you can see that we live in a pretty broken, messed up place. It's been that way since almost the beginning. In fact, the first chapters of the Bible, they, they show us that what God created, he called what? Good. He created people. He said, it's very good. And then what happened? The devil, he duped Adam and Eve. They got a hold of it, and then it went downhill from there. And so even right now in our own lifetime, we see that our world is full of evil. It's the fallout of sin, but that does not come from God, and the fallout that we're living in was never God's plan. God doesn't cause evil. It's never been his plan from the, from, from the get-go. All the suffering in the world, not from the beginning. And I can promise you this, that it's not going to be God's plan in the conclusion either. Can I get an amen from somebody? God started this thing as good. Sin came in and it fell apart. I can tell you at the very end, it will be good again. But there's a lot more to discover from this fascinating story. We're not going to read it all together, but if you start at verse 13, we see that Job learns what? He learns in wave after wave of very bad news that his herds are gone, his flocks are gone, his servants are gone, his wealth is gone, his livelihood is gone. They've all been destroyed. And if that wasn't bad enough, on the very same day, he finds out that his sons and daughters are all tragically killed. No parent should have to face the loss of losing one of their children. Job loses them all in one day. Everything that is important and valuable to Job just gone in one singular, heavy, horrible day. How in the world would you respond to that? Because I can honestly tell you, I do not know about me. I couldn't begin to tell you how I'd respond to this. How do you think Job responded to this? If you've read this before, you know exactly how Job responded. If you look at verse 20, at this, okay, hearing all of this tragic news, at this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. One of the greatest, if not the greatest response to tragedy that you're ever going to read anywhere in the Bible. Is it any wonder we read that? Is it any wonder why God said, hey, have you considered Job? He's upright, he's, he's, upright, he's blameless in every way. What incredible faith receives the worst news you could ever imagine and his response to it is, I'm going to worship the Lord. Somebody once said, character is not made in crisis, it is revealed. This tragic crisis revealed who Job really was. It didn't make him, it revealed him. And it's the same way 
to us. Friends, in the midst of hard times, most of the time people ask this question, what do I do? We get this tragic news, something befalls our life. What do I do? Have you ever had that conversation with people? They look at you, I don't know what to do. What do I do? Tell me what to do. Can I encourage you, the next time somebody says, what do I do? Can you remember to tell them, oh, it's not the what. It's the who. That's what we see in Job. It's not a what do I do. It's who now do I turn to. And we can tell people with great confidence today, it's not the what. It's the who, and it's time to turn to Jesus. I heard a preacher say one time, you don't need Emmanuel, you need Emmanuel. It's true. So Job stayed faithful. Satan failed to cause him to curse God to his face. But we also learned something very significant about Satan. He doesn't quit. He didn't give up. Now, if you look at chapter 2, let's keep reading because he's not done with Job. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Can we say, same song, second verse. This is all happening all over again, deja vu. I mean, this is the same conversation. We're going to go another round. Ding, ding. You want to go again? Let's go. This is happening all over again. Have you considered Job? There is no one like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And God adds this detail, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So these next few verses lead us to another discovery. It points us towards another truth that I think is vital. So not only does God not cause evil, But we can be sure of this, number two, that my perspective is limited. My perspective is limited. Do you you realize something? As this heavenly drama is unfolding between God and Satan, Satan, you know, coming and going out of God's presence, God is on his throne, Satan taunting God, and God places limits on Satan's activity. Do you realize when all of that is going on, Job has zero knowledge of any of it? He's not privy to any of this that's happening. He knows nothing about it. He, he, uh, he only knows that, uh, that his life is falling apart. He doesn't understand that he is the central figure of this cosmic conversation between the devil and the Lord. He no, has no concept of what Satan is up to. He doesn't understand that the master plan that Satan has had all along is to cause Job to curse God and die. Job doesn't know how this is going to play out. All he knows is that it seems like the world has come down on top of him. You know, I think about that. I think about our situation. think about your situation. It's not unlike Job's, really. Some of us are suffering right now. In a church our size, I know there is suffering, and I know there is tragedy in our church family. 
I know that some of you are going through <clears throat> unimaginable stuff right now. And I know that some of you have asked the question. I'm not sure we're going to make it. Maybe some of you too have walked in here saying, I don't know if my faith can make it. And I could here this morning spout out all kinds of platitudes for you, but, but let's be honest, platitudes don't cut it when our soul is suffering. In fact, explanations and justifications, I think they always seem to ring a little bit hollow when we're facing down evil and suffering in our lives, which may be the reason why the book of Job doesn't offer any of that stuff. It just simply shows us this, that our perspective is indeed limited. Now let me expound on that just a little bit more. There's not a one of us in this room today that can, that can know why so-and-so gets cancer and this person doesn't. We don't know that. Why? Because our perspective is limited. None of us can explain why, why some children suffer. We turn on the news, we see suffering just in our backyard, we see suffering around the world. It's hard to pinpoint. Well, we wish we could stop it. Why can't we stop it? What's going on here? Our perspective is limited. None of us can understand really why tornadoes and earthquakes and floods and tsunamis strike when they do or as often as they do because our perspective is limited. I was shocked to realize yesterday was the 10-year anniversary of the Joplin tornado. That's hard to believe. 10 years already. Job had no idea that God and Satan were even discussing his life. His perspective is very limited. He just knows that his world's falling apart. How many of you were with us back in 2017 when we went through the story series? Do you remember that? We went through the whole Bible in 31 weeks, and everybody got their own story Bible. I don't think I saw one hand go up. Were none of you here in 2007? Okay, there we go. I'm like, you're not all, all since then, are you? Um, consequently, uh, the story was one of my favorite series that we went through ever as a church family. And you may not know this, but we keep, we keep those story Bibles here. We have boxes of them, and we give them out all the time. So as people say, I, I really want to start studying the Bible. I've never read it. Where do I start? We give them a story Bible, explain how it works. We send them to our website. They can watch the story sermons, and they too can go through on their own the entire Bible in 31 weeks. Is that something you're interested in? Let me know. I'll be happy to hook you up. But you might recall, those of you that were with us, when we went through the, uh, the story, we learned that there is an upper story and there is a lower story. And here's what I mean by upper story. That God has a master plan. God can see from beginning to the end. He knows what's going to happen. He can see it before it happens. He orchestrates. He plans. He's the mastermind. He's not bound by time at all. He knows from Genesis to Revelation how it all is going to unfold. That's his upper story. Well, you and I are living in the lower story. That's our daily lives, the grind of life, the everyday ups and downs, the struggles, the victories of life. Rarely do we see in the moment how our lower story intersects with God's upper story. Think of it like this. God and Satan are having this conversation in the upper story. Job is living his life in the lower story. He has no idea what's happening up there. He has no idea. He just knows his world is falling apart because his perspective is limited. We're living in the lower story and our perspective is always going to be limited to a certain degree until eternity when we're with God forever. When our lower story and the upper story intersect for good, our perspective's limited. 
So whatever you're going through right now, just remember that. But also remember this, like with Job, he didn't understand it, but we see it in the scriptures that God is in complete control of this situation. And we see that specifically in how God puts limits on Satan. Satan was absolutely under God's control, bound up by God. He was limited. Now, there, like I said, with a lot of the book of Job, there's a whole lot more we could say here. But I think as Christians today, these are two vital things that we need to remember today. One is that God does not cause evil. Evil exists, but is not from God. And the second thing is we got to keep in mind our perspective is limited. So as we bring this first sermon through the book of Job to, to a close, l- let me just share with you maybe a little bit of encouragement. Some of you are asking the question, have asked the question, can I survive this? Whatever this happens to be for you. And that's usually the very first thing that we we wonder when tragedy befalls our life or we go through a really hard time, can I survive this? I can promise you that you are not the first person to ever ask that question and you most certainly won't be the last person to ask it either. How can I survive something so tragic. Here's your first step. By turning to Jesus. You say, well, that's really easy for you to say, Pastor. Turn to Jesus. That sounds like such the quintessential Sunday school answer. Turn to Jesus. But can I ask you the question? Who do you know is a greater expert on suffering than him? And if you can answer that question for me, then maybe maybe it won't change my answer, but I'd like to hear what you think. Who is a greater expert on suffering than Jesus? He bore all the sorrows of the world. When you are crushed by your sorrows and no person can understand what you're going through, I want you to know Jesus can. And the Bible tells us that specifically. Hebrews chapter 2.17 is what I'm thinking of. For this reason, he, we're speaking about Jesus here, had to be made like them. Like who? Like us. Fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of all people. Then verse 18, because he, Jesus himself, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You you know what this verse, these verses are telling us? Is that the Lord is well acquainted with suffering. He's well acquainted with all the stuff like temptation that surrounds suffering. And because of this, the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus can identify and he is the one that can help us in this time of need. It's the very reason why God let it play out the way it plays out. That he can identify with us. He understands. The guy that took on the sins of the world and bore that can walk with you and guide you through whatever tragedy befalls you. Let me ask you this question in closing. Have you had a, a, a recent tragedy? Have you suffered? Have you wondered, why God is this happening to me? Let me encourage you. There's only one place to look. 
And that's to Jesus. Jesus can walk with you through your pain. He bore it on the cross 2,000 years ago. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this as we get deeper in the book of Job. But just remember, God is in control. He's got a master plan for your life. Oh, my friend, he is so much not done with you. Far from it. Your story is not over. Just like Job's story. Far from over. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord. I just first of all want to give you praise and thanks today because you allowed Job's story to be written, this true story of great tragedy. And Lord, we thank you for these extremely vital truths that we've got to own today to be explained in here. That yes, there definitely is evil in this world, but you didn't cause it. Lord, forgive us if we have ever shifted the blame onto you, it's easy to do. Lord, forgive us of that. And Lord, help us to understand too that our perspective is limited. And so our response is, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I don't understand all that's happening to me. But what I do understand is you, and I trust you. And Lord, I would pray for any of us in this room today that's struggling and they're asking the questions. I don't know if I can get through this. How do I cope? What do I do? Lord, may our response be, Lord, I don't get it right now, but I trust you. Lord, I don't understand how this is going to turn out. I can't see the future, but I trust you. Lord, may we be like Job, that when we suffer, we worship. We turn our eyes to you. Lord, that's our prayer. So, Lord, I just pray for those specifically who just feel like I can't go on. Lord, give them your strength today, I pray. Lord, fill them with your spirit. Lord, just come alongside. Lord, come up along next to them. Grab their arm, Lord. Let them know, I am right here. I got this. I know what's going on. I know your name. I know your address. I know everything that's going on about you. I'm right here with you. You can't see the future, but I can. You can't see where this all leads. I can. Help us to have that kind of trust, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to know that uh, at the conclusion of all of our services, some of our elders will be here at the front, and they're here just to pray with you, to talk to you. What's God stirring in your heart? Sometimes we just need somebody to pray with us, and we're here for you. And maybe you're contemplating what a walk with Jesus looks like and following him. Maybe you're like, I've seen enough, I've heard enough. I wouldn't like to talk to somebody. We're going to have a few of us hanging up, up here. And as everybody's going out there for coffee and donuts, we'd love to, to visit with you and to pray with you. So if that's on your heart, I just want you to know that is available. Let's all stand together and let's worship the Lord as we leave.